Sometimes I wonder if you and I do the same thing as Olivia. We create a safe place, our own little safe world that keeps us safe and unintentionally keeps others out. And if we do, I guess we can take some comfort from the fact that the early church struggled with the same thing. That is what we are going to see today in Acts chapter 11. We have not been in the book of Acts since September of 2013. We started this series way back in January of 2013, and we worked all the way through. We took a little break. We finished up in September, and then a whole lot of other really good things got in the way that we had a chance to address together. But I didn't want to leave the book of Acts hanging. The book of Acts is too wonderful to just leave it hanging there. I wanted to finish it. And so starting this Sunday and going for quite a while now, we are going to finish out the book of Acts together. What is Acts? Acts is simply the act called the Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's the history of the early church after Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit began to work in the church, and it's the story of the early church. Who wrote it? Uh, a guy named Luke, as Doug referenced today. This is part two of his two-part work, Luke, the Gospel, and Acts. If you want a complete history of this book, a good one, you could go back about a month ago when we were working through NT60. I preached a message on the Gospel of Luke, and, uh, and then I preached a couple of weeks later a message on the book of Acts. And you can get a complete history if you're interested by, by looking at those two messages. But there are two major ideas in the book of Acts, and this is really important as we dive back into Acts together to understand this. The first major idea is the kingdom of God. Luke starts with this idea of the kingdom in Acts, and he ends it with the idea of the kingdom of God. And the idea of the kingdom in Acts is that that God is unleashing his kingdom on this world through the church. And so we have this kingdom of God unfolding. We see the kingdom of God breaking in and what it looks like. The second major theme in the book of Acts that I like to highlight is the Holy Spirit. So as the church has been given this mission to unleash the kingdom of God on the world, the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. And you will see these themes over and over in the book of Acts as we're working through there. The kingdom of God being unleashed, the Holy Spirit empowering the church to be unleashed on this world. And hence why we have the title to this series that we have, Acts, the church unleashed, as we work towards the kingdom of God breaking through into this world. Now there's a simple outline for the book of Acts. Luke gives us that outline in in Acts 1, chapter 8. And if I were to put this up here on the board, Acts 1, 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in three places. And this forms the outline. First of all, in Jerusalem, we see this in Acts chapters 2 to 7. Luke highlights what the early church started to do in Jerusalem. They took the message and were witnesses of the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In Judea and Samaria is the next place. And this is chapter 8 to 11 in Acts. And we've just finished this up. Well, just, we did finish this up uh, a year ago, September, when we, that's where we stopped, is in, right in the middle of chapter 11, where this theme ends. So we've seen the gospel go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and now chapter 11 through the end, we're going to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. That's our outline for the book of Acts. And so the first two points are done. They're out of the way. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, we've got through there. Now we're going to see this massive shift in the book of Acts, taking the gospel to the entire world. 
You see, the idea that we're going to see here in Acts chapter 11 then as we make this shift is the idea of back to this concept of safe place. One of the biggest obstacles to taking the mission uh, of the church, one of the biggest obstacles to the church accomplishing the mission of the kingdom breaking through into this world, one of the greatest obstacles to this thing is that we have erected walls and created safe places so that it becomes difficult to accomplish the mission. We're going to see this here in the book of Acts chapter 11. Now, one thing you need to understand here, the basic story that Doug read for us from Acts chapter 11 is actually a pretty simple story. Some people started to share the gospel with, with Greeks. Up, up to this point, they hadn't really shared the gospel with Greeks. They went and shared the gospel in, in a couple of places, and then those people took the gospel and they shared it with Gentiles or Greeks. And we find that in this, it really messed with the idea for these Jewish Christians of who the gospel was for. And we're going to begin to see in this passage the gospel breaking out to the ends of the earth. So the first thing that you need to understand in this passage is that safe places have a danger. Safe places have a danger. This is what the church in Acts 11 is going to discover, that there's a, a danger to safe places. Um, really, I, I, I'm keying so much of the idea uh, of this message off one little phrase in verse 19 of chapter 11. He says, those who had been scattered through the persecution in connection with Stephen. If you remember, uh, a long time ago, I preached this message on uh, Stephen, who was taken by the Jewish authorities and stoned to death and killed. And on that day, a great persecution spread, and Christians uh, in Jerusalem started to spread out all over the world. So those who'd been scattered with the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message, and this is the phrase I want to key in on today, only to Jews. This little phrase you and I can relate to and we understand it and it becomes the, really the, the meat of where I want to go with this passage today. They took, they took the message only to Jews and this sets the entire tone for the passage. We need to understand some, sometimes because we're typically not Jewish or Jewish Christians, we don't understand the tension that existed in the early church. There was a controversy all through the New Testament we read about what should be the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Because up until this time, while God gave clues throughout the Old Testament that he loved and cared about the whole world, most Jews in Jesus' day and in the days of the early church understood that God only cared about the Jews. And so there was this controversy, why on earth would a Gentile care about Jesus? But one of the things we left off um, over a year ago was this, uh, this story of Peter and Cornelius. Um, do you remember this story that Peter has a vision of a sheep being let down and there's all kinds of unclean animals in that sheet. And, and the Spirit tells, uh, um, tells Peter, God tells Peter to go and eat. And Peter says, I'll never eat anything unclean. And God says, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. And we see the gospel go to a Gentile who feared God. And all of a sudden, Christians are going, maybe this whole safe place, these walls that we've created around us just naturally, maybe those are changing. Because of the persecution, 
Jewish Christians, and really they're the only Christians at this point, had spread out. The text says they go to Cyprus, Phoenicia, and Antioch. Let me show you this map here. Um, I like maps. If you don't like maps, just close your eyes for a second. Um, you'll see here um, on, on this map, I've got a couple stars. The yellow star is Jerusalem. The orange star is Antioch, which is really important. The red star is Tarsus at the top. And then the island here that I've pointed to is the island of Cyprus. Now, well, uh, the area of Phoenicia is an area kind of just north of Israel between the yellow and the orange stars on this map. Now, this is just kind of important for us to get our minds around. When the church encountered persecution, they spread out. And you need to understand that Jews already lived in these places. There were already Jews on the island of Cyprus. There were already Jews in Antioch. There were already Jews in Phoenicia. There were Jews in Damascus. There were Jews in this region. And so it made sense when Christians spread out, they found other Jewish people. And they told the message in these places only to Jews. And this is a really big deal. Why would they do this? Especially in light of what they just learned about Cornelius, and that God does care about Gentiles, and that Jesus is for the whole world. They just learned this message. Why would they share it with only Jews? Well, I think this is really important for us to understand the application of this passage for us today. First of all, we need to understand that Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. And so it made sense for them to tell Jews. They would get it. Jews understood that God had appeared to their forefather Abraham. And the Messiah was promised to Jewish people. And so it made sense to them that the message of the gospel seemed inherently Jewish. And so they would share it with Jews. The second reason they did this is they wondered, why would Gentiles even care? Why would Gentiles even care about a Jewish Messiah? It's like this. Like, I'm a Cubs fan. You guys know this, right? Uh, the Cubs just recently fired their manager and hired Joe Madden. And uh, that's so, somewhat uh, a bit of controversy if you hire a manager for a year and then turn around him and fire him. And, and imagine that I got in a conversation with a fellow Cubs fan about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing that they hired a new manager. Now imagine this, that, that, that there's a Cardinals fan sitting over here. And uh, wait, I, imagine me, how odd would it be for me to go engage the Cardinals fan about what, whether we should, the Cubs should be hiring a new manager or not. Like I'd look at that Cardinals fan and go, what do you care? Why would you care about internal Cub policies, right? You're a, all you understand is winning. You don't even know what it's like to lose like we lose. You don't get it, you know? Like why would you even care? And that is how the Jews felt. The Christian Jews felt Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. It's not that I maybe hate Gentiles or Greeks. I just, why would they even care? This is a Jewish issue. And the last reason that they only gave the message to Jews is because that was what was comfortable. A Jewish Christian could walk up to another Jew and assume already from the get-go that that Jewish person had an understanding of the law of Moses, of their forefather Abraham, about the prophecies concerning a Messiah. It was a natural and comfortable conversation to talk about the Messiah with a Jewish person. It was comfortable. And so the Jews did this. The Christians did this. They told the message only to Jews. Now, we read in the text that some of these Jewish people on the island of Cyprus in particular, but in these other regions, were on a business trip or traveled to the city of Antioch, and they began to tell the message to Gentiles. And this started to blow everyone's minds. 
particularly in the city of Antioch, there grew a following of Gentile believers in Jesus. They didn't know what to do with this. Antioch's an interesting city. It's a city of about 300,000 people, which to us doesn't sound that big. I mean, that's Des Moines-ish size, right? It doesn't sound that big to us. But in the Roman world, for an ancient city, that is a very large city. Uh, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, and it was the center of all culture and commerce and government for this region of the Roman Empire. It was a crossroads and a cultural center. It was filled with pagans. It was completely immoral. They had no knowledge of the one true God. And Christians were sharing the gospel with these people. Eventually, it became the center of, of the Gentile church. And it became a sending hub. And so, starting in Acts chapter 11, up to this point, if you look at this map again, you can see that the church was centered on Jerusalem, on the yellow star. But all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 11, what we're going to see is the beginning of a new center of the church happened. It's the church of Antioch, and this is the Gentile church. And this will become a sending hub for the gospel, for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, this news of these Gentile Christians in Antioch surely reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And, uh, and you know, and they, that caught their attention. I think most of the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem went, hey, hold on a minute. What's going on here? A Gentile church? And, and I think it was perplexing to them, for one hand, when they looked at Cornelius, they saw it's one thing for a Gentile God-fearer who had learned the ways of Judaism, and maybe he didn't get circumcised, but he understood an awful lot about the Jewish God. It's one thing for Cornelius to come to Jesus, but these pagans who have no history with the Jewish God, that got their attention. And they also objected back in Jerusalem because they didn't understand Gentiles. I mean... They had the potential to change everything about the church. Can you imagine what it was like, the fear that must have happened back in the Christians in Jerusalem when they hear this? Wait, Gentiles? Are, they're going to change everything. Pretty soon we're going to be having pig roasts, you know? And then like, I mean, this is scary stuff. Everything we know is, is going to get thrown out. You see, they had erected a safe place, and they just didn't get Gentiles. The Jewish Christians had something they could get their mind around. The gospel was safe within their comfort zone. They knew how to talk to their own people. It was a huge risk for them to take the, the message of the Messiah outside the Jewish people. What, what if it ruined it? It was just easier to stay within the walls they've created. If you want to become a Jew first, they could say, learn about all this stuff, then you can come to Jesus and we can talk. If you want to take the initiative to come into my world, that's okay. Then we can talk. So they sent the message to Jews only. To the church's credit, as we're going to see here in a minute, the church did not just throw up the walls and say, Antioch, we're done with you. <laughs> we cut you off from fellowship. You're not real followers of Jesus, of the way. We're cutting you off. But they didn't. As we're going to see in a minute, they sent a delegation to find out what was going on. You see, God has bigger plans than they probably thought about. He knew the safe walls of Judaism weren't as, wasn't as far, far as the gospel would go. It would go to the ends of the earth. And what's more, the safe places could actually harm the church. 
Listen, you and I can get this. Because whether we mean to or not, we, you and I create safe walls. Walls that keep other people out to keep us safe. We create environments like this. We see our own little world and we work hard to eliminate any discomfort or danger. We eliminate people who might hurt us or different from us, who are, make us uncomfortable. And if we never interact with people outside of our safe place, we miss a huge opportunity to see God work in us. And what's more, we have preconceived notions of who would be even interested in the gospel. When we create these walls, it creates preconceptions. I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about someone in your life and thought, oh, yeah, that person's not a follower of Jesus, and they would never be interested? Have you ever had that thought, like a neighbor or a coworker or someone? Like, they would never be interested in the gospel. And actually, that's scary, and I'm just going to keep them at arm's length. We create safe places. And the Jerusalem Jews could have missed a huge opportunity here to be used by God if they kept the walls of their safe place up. You see, the reality is that when we create walls around us to create a safe place for our, ourselves, that is the most dangerous place we can be. And the reason for that is because if we create a safe place where no one else can hurt us and we, can't, we don't have to walk in and deal with any other people that are hard or difficult or we don't like, we have no need for God anymore. We create a safe place and we go, you know, I'm in control. I got this handled. God, it's okay. You can go deal with something else because I'm under control here. And a place where we're not dependent upon God is the most dangerous place we could possibly be. The gospel in Acts chapter 11 was taken only to Jews. But God has a way of changing things, doesn't he? You see, as the church in Jerusalem, explores the possibility that God might be doing something bigger than they ever imagined, their walls begin to come down. And what we see in this passage, the second thing I want you to see today, is that when our walls decrease, God provides resources. God is the one who provides resources. And we see this here in the passage in the persons of Barnabas and Saul. When walls come down, we get to see God work, and he's the one to provide the resources. All right, so things are going pretty well in Antioch, right? The church in Jerusalem hears about this. They decide that uh, avoidance probably is not the best strategy. And so they pick out Barnabas and they send him up to Antioch to investigate. They, they kind of say, okay, maybe this doesn't fit my paradigm here, but I want to explore and see what God is doing. So they send Barnabas. That's what the text tells us. It says, uh, verse 22, news of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. What we learn here from uh, Barnabas, and we, we learned this back in Acts chapter 4, is Barnabas literally means the son of encouragement. This is the guy you want to spend time with, Right? Like, this is the Bob Stouffer's of the world, right? Bob uh, and I joke at length that he has the gift of encouragement, right? Uh, this is the, these are the people you want to spend time with because you love people who encourage you, you know? And this guy's Barnabas. And isn't it fascinating that Jerusalem Church sends a son of encouragement to Antioch? Do you, do you hear it? They're saying, you know what? We had walls in place, but we're willing to lower these walls 
we're going to send a resource to them and find out what's going on. The text tells us that Barnabas was a spirit-led godly man. What's fascinating is in Acts chapter 4, we learn that Barnabas was actually born on the island of Cyprus and raised on the island of Cyprus. At some point, he went to Jerusalem to be trained and educated in the ways of Judaism, and then he found Jesus. So when the church said, we want to go find out what's going on in Antioch, because we heard these Cyprus believers went to Antioch and told them, who did they send? They sent someone who got it, who understood what it was like to be a Cyprus. Cy- what do you call a person from Cyprus? <laughs> Cypritus. Whatever. Anyway, so they said it. They go, we get it. You know, we send Barnabas. We get it. And so Barnabas investigates in Antioch and he encourages them to continue on with their whole, whole heart. Barnabas just says yes to God. I love this. He sees what God is doing. He's saying, I'll lower my preconceptions. I understand people from Cyprus and this whole Greek Christianity anyway. And so I'll go there. And he does this. And he tells them, man, keep going. He was a good man, full of the Spirit and faith. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, this is what you don't see in the text, but if you look between the lines, you can see it. Barnabas goes to Antioch. He's by himself. He gets these people. He sees that they're coming to faith in Jesus. He starts teaching them. He starts training them, and look what happens. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. Okay, Lord, I'm just here. I'm saying yes. I'm willing to let my walls come down and, and see that Gentiles could come to Jesus. And I'll even start teaching them and training them. And how long was it until he was completely overwhelmed? I don't think it took too long. Because he said, I'm just here, God. I'm just saying yes to you. And I can't do it. Because I am way overwhelmed. And so what does Barnabas do? He remembers a guy who could help him perfectly, who was perfectly seated, uh, suited to understand the Jewish faith, to understand the Messiah, and to also understand Greeks and Gentiles. And this was Saul. If you didn't have a chance to hear my message about uh, three, four weeks ago, which was basically a summary of the life of the Apostle Paul, I would really encourage you to go back on the podcast and listen to it because it will give you an incredible insight into who Paul was, into who he was, and, and to how he was perfectly suited to reach the gospel to Gentiles, to bring the gospel to Gentiles. The Apostle Paul is hanging out in Tarsus. And if you remember from that sermon, he had been there about seven years. God had converted the, uh, Saul and he'd converted him and, and he had done a few things there in Damascus for a few years, but he ended up in Tarsus for seven-ish years. He had been in Tarsus studying, preparing, getting ready to go into ministry. And Barnabas knew this. And when he needed a resource, he knew who to go to. So he hops, skips and jumps over to Tarsus, grabs the Apostle Paul, who's not just as Saul that time. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Greek name. And so he grabs him and he says, I've got a job for you. And when we look at the text, he says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. I mean, do you see this here? When Barnabas is completely overwhelmed with the work God has in front of him, he doesn't pull back. He doesn't say, I need a vacation. He doesn't quit. He doesn't get burned out. He goes and gets help, and God provides the resource. So many of us, when we get overwhelmed, pull back. 
It's one of the dangers of saying yes to God. You know, so many times we talk, like to talk about boundaries and all these issues, and one of the dangers of saying yes to God is that we'll get overwhelmed. But that's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be because we get to see that God will provide resources from us. So Barnabas finds Saul, and now a great number of people get taught. Look, verse 26. We read it there earlier. Um, and they taught a great number of people, more than Barnabas could ever do alone. You see, when we allow God to tear down the safe places we've erected, and we trust Him with His mission, He provides exactly what we need. God is the one who is providing resources. The church in Jerusalem, all it had to do was be open to what God was doing. God had been preparing Saul for many years. Um, this summer, Clarissa had a chance to go to Young Lives Camp. She took uh, a whole bunch of teen moms and their babies and mentors, and they went up to this camp in Michigan. And, uh, and as the leader of this group, Clarissa had to pick a group outing. And she saw on there was the ropes course. And uh, in, in Clarissa's mind, I think she thought that there would be like a, you know at the playground when you were kids and there's that little metal bar and you had to kind of walk on it. And if you fell off, it was like a three-inch fall to the ground. And I think she had that in mind. But she told her whole team, all the girls, you have to go do this ropes course. And so they all went out there. And then Clarissa saw that it was a high ropes course. And my wife is afraid of heights. She's terrified of this stuff. But she was in a pickle because <laughs> she told them they all had to do it, right? And so she gets up there and, and she, uh, through sheer will and determination, made it through that course. One of the interesting things I find about it, but as you can see in the picture here of her up in the ropes course, is she's in a harness with a helmet on, with a safety chain. She's got all the equipment. The task that she could have never done, she was equipped to do before she got up there. I, I think that's a great, and through fear and trembling and sheer determination, she got through it. And this is a great picture of how we ought need to be with God. You see, when we tear down our walls and we say, okay, I'm done making a safe place for me. God, I'll do whatever you want. Whatever you bring, I'm ready for it. He will provide the resources. It's the principle we see here for both Barnabas and Saul. God used them to equip his church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, in verse 26, we see that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This is an interesting phrase here. Uh, this is not a good thing. Sometimes we read this and go, oh, that's nice. This is where we got the name Christian from. This is great. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, and it was probably some kind of slur. Uh, the best we can understand is the, the Greek for Messiah is Christ, and Christ literally means the anointed one. Now, all these rulers in Antioch, as this church is growing, growing and exploding all around them, they, they keep talking about this Messiah. The Greek word for Messiah actually, well, it means anointed one, the idea of anointing with oil. It can also be understood, if you don't understand the context, as the oily one, right? Because it's anointed with oil. And these, these uh, uh, Gentile followers or these Gentile leaders and rulers that were trying to figure out what was going on in their city as this great uproar was happening, they started to call these people the oily ones, you know, followers of the oily one. This idea of they're Christians. 
They follow the Messiah, the Christ. It's not a nice thing. But God gave the church in all of this, the resources they needed, in spite of what we're beginning to see as persecution from Gentiles now here, and the persecution from Jews, and the persecution all around, we're beginning to see that God provides the resources. When we drop our walls, He provides the resources we need. The third thing I want you to know here from this text is that these resources should be shared. So uh, at the end of the passage, you re- begin to read about the prophet Agabus. He comes up from Jerusalem. Um, I actually comes down to Antioch. Everything from Jerusalem was called going down because Jerusalem was a high point. So you always went down somewhere from Jerusalem. He comes down to Antioch and, uh, and he begins to deliver a prophecy. And that prophecy is that there's going to be a famine in the world. And he predicted this. By the way, um, prophecy in the Bible is, is never just about um, fanciful information about the future. It wasn't like, oh, a, oh, a famine's coming. I got to write that down so I can tell my friends that our prophet predicted this. That's really cool. No, no, no. A prophecy was always given as an exhortation. Agabus was telling the church in Antioch, guess what? There's going to be a need, and God is going to use this. Your resources that he has given you are going to need to be shared. And if you think about it, look at the resources the church of Jerusalem gave to the church at Antioch. They gave them teachers. They gave them training. They sent them prophets. They provided all the spiritual needs to get this Gentile church that was way out of their comfort zone, running and going in the Christian faith. The irony here then is that for the church of Jerusalem, who initially had their walls up and was only sharing the gospel with Gentiles, for the church of Jerusalem, the message that at first they wouldn't take to the Gentiles is those very same Gentiles that would end up sending money back and resources back so they didn't starve. Isn't this cool? Like just the irony there. Oh yeah, I don't want to share the gospel with you, but oh yeah, you're going to end up providing my needs. This is a cool and wonderful picture about the sharing of God's resources. You see, when we let our walls drop, when, when we say, you know what, the safe world that I've created around us, when God provides us all the resources, then we get to share those things with others too. You know, Pastor Jeff and I were talking about this earlier uh, in the week. We were talking about all the ways that God has used the resources of his people to meet needs that we never expected. It wasn't but two years ago that we had three kids in uh, Little Life Wing. And, you know, and we were combining classes and trying to figure out what to do. And, and all of a sudden, our Little Life Wing explodes and people are having babies and, and new families are coming. And, and, you know, I don't know what times five is. I can't think of the words. Quinn something. Anyway, but our, it's five-fold increase in the number of kids down in, in Little Life each week. And God provided the resources. We were able to, to hire Claire, who's just doing such a great job with our little life people, and God provided the resources because God's people stood up and says, we know that's a, the thing down that wing that we need to happen. Uh, it's, it's really fun. Uh, in, in our middle school ministry, we're seeing the same kind of thing is that, you know, we have a bunch of people who have volunteered and are helping out, and, and we went from a place where we had three or four or five 
kids coming to youth group to the place where, you know, last week we had 25 middle schooler kids there. And, and what we're praying is in our, in our next plan, you'll see in, the, in our weekly budget in our, uh, that's released in the weekly email, is that we're praying that God would increase our resources from just surviving to thriving. And one of the things we want to see is say, God, would you provide for someone, someone for us to we can bring on part-time to pour into these middle school kids and to lift them up because there's a need. Then it's a principle. When God's people see a need, they provide the need. And it's exciting to see what God is doing. Resources are meant to be shared. In Acts, God's plan was to protect his church from the impending famine and to spread the church to the entire world. And he does both. You and I might be the resource or have the resources someone else needs to do God's work. And when we just put up a a wall around us, when we just put up a safe place, when we say we won't let anyone else in because we got to protect ourselves, when we do that, we miss a great opportunity. You and I need to be transformed. We just do. We need to stop creating safe worlds and let God do something unsafe so that we're dependent upon him. This isn't really a go preach the gospel message. It, I mean, it always is. It's always, we should be always sharing our faith. And, but this message is more, it's more than about going and preaching the gospel. It's more of a tear down your walls and let God bring someone to you. I mean, the question is, is your life so safe? Is your circle of friends so safe that you don't need God? And if that's the case, you need to experience a transformation. The church in Jerusalem was transformed. They put down their walls of safety and they went to those who were outside their circles. The challenge from this message today is, will you tear down the walls of the safe place around you and allow God to bring someone into your life who maybe you didn't expect and you didn't know, but you, and it might be dangerous, but you're saying, God, I'm going to trust. There's a risk here, and I'm going to trust you with that. Um, so I asked uh, Jane Johannesson if I could share this illustration, and I don't know if she told you this, Jeff, but she said yes. Um, about a month to two months ago, Jeff and Jane had an opportunity to have a young woman come into their house and live with them. Uh, this young woman is a teen mom who had no place to go, and she had nowhere to live. And, uh, and so after a, a while, uh, Jeff and Jane were presented with these opportunities, and they said yes to this. And Jane in particular knew that this would be a lot of work for her. It would be a lot of things, and it would blow her comfort zone out of the water. I mean, she told that. She talked through that with Clarissa as she was preparing for this, just about how she knew this could turn her world upside down. And there were so many risks there's so many risks. It might not work out. There might be, you know, I mean, having teenagers in the house is hard sometimes. And, you know, there might be conflict. And, I mean, this, this girl's from a total different world. And, and as Jane was, was telling me this and talking through this, she said, you know, this would, could potentially turn my world upside down. And so about for the next two to three weeks, this young woman lived with them. And Jeff and Jane just said, yes, God. Yes, I'll go with it. And eventually this young woman uh, chose to, to leave and to go live somewhere else. And for those two or three weeks, Jane got to pour her life into this young woman. And it was messy and it was hard and it was difficult and it was sleepless. But you know what? 
at the end of the day, she had an opportunity to plant a seed of God's grace in this young woman's life. All because they said, you know what? The walls are coming down, God. You can do whatever you want. And oh, if we all would be the kind of church that just said yes to God. That said, you know what? I have created a bubble of my life that is completely safe. And God, I don't want it anymore because I need you. Just like the church of Jerusalem said, you know what? It was a nice safe bubble with only Jewish people. But we're going to go outside of that and see what God has in store. And the blessings were overwhelming. And they got to be part, the church of Jerusalem got to be part of the gospel going to the whole world. And they got to receive the blessing of God meeting their needs through the Gentiles. Would you and I be courageous? Would you and I say yes to God? Would you and I tear down the walls of safety that we have created and allow God to be our safety? That's my challenge to you today from Acts chapter 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we just want to say yes, God. Lord, uh, having our worlds turned upside down is scary and, and hard and difficult, but oh, it's so good, Lord. Would you allow us to trust in you and only you? In Jesus' name, amen.